Hello and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network where we dive deep into our both most nocturnal work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. Hey, that's me. And we're back to talk about CineDA 14.7. Um, so this chapter begins with uh, Corvidae throwing that mirror, or continuing that mirror from throw from last chapter, and we see it kind of in <laughs> slow motion. I mean, it's not really in slow motion, but I pictured it in slow motion, <laughs> kind of flying towards the nearest trees. Um, and as it does, Blake just kind of thinks about how bad this is about to get. <laughs> yeah, and so I know I do this a lot, but I, I want to pull out like the opening couple of lines because... I always feel like those are, you know, the most important ones for setting the tone of of what we're meant to be thinking heading into the chapter. Mm. And the the opening sentences here, it's like Rose being like, wait, so Corvidae's not on our side. And then, of course, Blake sneaks in a dig at Rose. Yep, classic. Uh, and then Corvidae sneaks in like a smug response. And <laughs> it's just like, it, it immediately gets you back on page. You're like, okay, so that's right. We're fighting Corvidae now. Uh, Blake and Rose are still themselves with each other and uh corvidae is now gone from being a creepy asshole to like a maliciously compliant asshole uh it's it's really great the thing i like about blake's dig at rose is he says so he's 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 saying if shoot him didn't make it clear like oh you should have clearly figured it out but remember the way the last chapter ended was shoot him no don't shoot him like it's not the most clear instructions so i feel like yeah. rose taking a second to double check is probably not the worst thing here <laughs> exactly like she of course she's confused right now this would be like a huge amount of new news to her yeah um it's just yeah i mean it's just these these two now that they're sort of both on the same page and have knowledge of uh what's going on between them like i forget what the rule was that was sort of said but it's like when people know about prophecies and and that sort of thing it makes them even more real and and ever since we sort of flipped that switch with blake and rose they're just so like fantastically and frustratingly unable to work together and it's just this great dynamic it's so fun yeah no they're 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 horrible (laughs) um i i like i don't know how long it takes blake to think through things but he's solidly standing there thinking in his head for like six or seven paragraphs and it's kind of like i couldn't help but think as i was reading it is time still progressing while blake is just standing there (laughs) thinking yeah i mean it, it does it does feel very un-Blake to just stand there and not react uh, a little bit, which is very interesting considering um, what Rose does at the same yeah. time as Blake is standing there thinking about things. Yeah, so what Rose does is she yanks out some of her hair and basically immediately uses it to do sympathetic magic because, of course, the mirror was bound with some of her hair. Um, and then they kind of solve this situation pretty effectively and tell Conquest to sit down and shut up, basically. <laughs> i mean and this is this is so cool um one thing we get here yeah. which happens a lot in this chapter so i'm just gonna uh kind of get this out of the way so i'm not repeating myself is like the the way the lighting uh is used like everything's mostly black and we get these rays of light as, oh, yeah. as conquest like is exulting as he's about to be free before rose cuts it off um there's a bunch of moments where the lighting is used very cinematically for for a written story it's great um but but obviously, I mean, the big thing here is Rose uses what we kind of have seen as Blake's signature magic, uh, you know, in the recent past. Mm. Um, 
I mean, it feels a lot longer ago than it was that this was his signature move. Yes. Uh, and she also is disfiguring her herself in the process. Like, it's it's one of the most Blake moves we've seen in the story <laughs> from not Blake. Yeah, and I really liked it because this is, you know, Blake became all about this sympathetic magic for a solid, what, four to six hours last night or something. And then he hasn't <laughs> used it at all since he got his tree body, right? Um, hmm. But, and I think that's very interesting. I think... You know, we'd kind of remarked on he has he he hasn't been doing that. He's been adopting a different style lately, and now we see mm. that Rose has picked it up, and it feels very much like this push and pull between them. Blake has just lost the sympathetic magic, and now it's Rose's, which I really love. Yeah, yeah, like it's it's, it's interesting how. How, like you know i think we we even used to back in toronto talk about how it sometimes felt like things were like flickering between them and, and this you're right this does feel like that and it'll be interesting if we get to learn a bit more about how that how that works like you know if if blake sort of gives up a skill how does that sort of move to rose or, or whatever um but it's just it, it 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 feels it feels very much like the story is trying to tie them together a bit here uh and just you know remind us that these two are yo-yoing at times um like, like we yeah. have so much of blake's pov and and we've seen how inconsistent he often is like or i don't know if inconsistent is the right word but he gets hyper focused on doing one type of thing and acting in a certain way and then in response to events will kind of pivot and i just wonder is like if we had rose's point of view for all these same time periods like i wonder how much more sense all these shifts might make as the two of them respond and adapt and, and things sort of shift and move between them as one doesn't want them anymore yeah like you can just imagine like rose and alistair having a conversation as blake makes some big revelation about himself rose's whole demeanor just changes because like blake's discarding bits of himself that end up in rose yeah it's interesting i wonder how much rose has actively noticed that while she and blake have been away like yeah she she wasn't there when blake you know, took the tree body, for example, right? So I wonder what it felt like for her when Blake did that. Surely that was a big enough change to register yeah. something. Um, well, I mean, but you know, this is this is the girl who's who's still like sharing origins with Blake. There's every chance yeah. that she hasn't noticed at all, and it's like Alistair and the poor people around her who have to deal with these, <laughs> yeah, true. like what they would perceive as just wild mood swings or something. Yeah. Uh, but it, but it's actually a response to stuff that's going on with Blake. Yeah, interesting. I wonder what that feels like. It and must like, be so and, strange. And, yeah, and Rose just would, would sort of barely register it, maybe. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. We, we Honestly, I don't feel like we know enough about her, which seems crazy to say because, like, she's been so in, in this book, but, mm. like, um, we haven't really been in her head, so it's hard to know what what, she, what yeah. her thought processes are like and and anytime we do see her it's often colored by blake's perception of her which is warped at best <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and even our own i mean the first seven arcs of the book she lied to us as much as blake so it's hard to know what was genuine from back then and what wasn't yeah yeah um so is Corvidea Bahame because he is so smug nowadays. Like he keeps <laughs> doing this dick thing where he's like, "What? I was helping. I'm helping, guys. I'm helping." While he is obviously screwing them over, and and I don't know what he expects. Like everyone knows, everyone can clearly see that he is not helping. Uh yeah. In fact, I, I'm actually enjoying like asshole Corvidea even more than I was like creepy unsettling Corviday uh there's just something about him just like now that he's out in the open just kind of like basking in sabotaging things for them like it's just it's just kind of funny 
Yeah, it, it is, but it's also it's such a he's such a dick about it, you know. Oh yeah, I, that well that's the best part. Yeah, like he's he's just so unabashedly just reveling in in all this. Yeah, and getting to betray them. Yeah. Um. So yeah, with with Corviday, you know, hibernating and uh, Mara uh, surrounded with guns, you know, they're they're in a pretty good position. Um. But Mara seemingly is unfazed she gives a, a bit of a speech about how she's going to horrifically torture them and then she points at one of the knights and says die and he does which is terrifying <laughs> yeah this is so crazy like you, you don't really see it coming and we've had so much build-up of how powerful she is and this just feels like a bit of a delivery of all that where she can just point at people and tell them to die and their body's like yep okay yeah gotta do what she says it's her forest um and then also she talks about like you know all that, all that stuff she's going to torture them and, and what she's going to do there and um it sounds pretty awful it's kind of like all, all the worst parts of being evan basically yeah it's it's like she's going to make her own little set of evans but not fun yeah exactly exactly um so yeah the interesting thing one of the interesting things here to me is how how big of a fan Blake is of the Knights of the Basement right which mm, I am mm. too obviously but it's the kind of thing where you know Blake has been doing some pretty horrifying shit lately but it's nice seeing him have connections with these humans that he was so connected to and really like enjoying their presence it's it's a uh, it gives us hope that there's still some Blake somewhere in there yeah cuz you're right there's there's like a number of a number of separate beats where he just kind of gushes about how much he loves the knights at various points um i'm really interested to sort of see a bit more about why they're coming back into the story now um like blake is clearly so sort of in love with them and like i don't know i feel like there's going to be some fun things to do there, playing off of how they're actually kind of affiliated with rose now and he's so different to like what he was before like i don't know i think there could be some really cool interactions coming up there yeah i it again it's the kind of thing where it's it's such a great way to contrast who blake is with who blake was right like when Mm, the knights mm. knew him he was so completely different (laughs) yes in in just about every way yeah um, so I want to read out this little quote because Mara is giving her little horrific villain speech and then Blake and Rose kind of f- phase out, you know, like they stop <laughs> paying attention and they just kind of have this little moment of looking at each other. Um, and then Rose turns back to Mara and it's this weird, it's like Mara is talking about basically the worst possible torture that she can inflict, but Blake and Rose are just like, yeah, we've heard all this before. Like it could <laughs> <Yeah>. be worse. <laughs> I, I hadn't noticed that, but when you pointed it out, like I saw it, it's it's so perfect. Like I love this. Um, uh, like Mara's doing her best, like horrible villain speech, and that just kind of puts Blake and Rose in business mode. And just like, okay, yeah, yeah, this is this is like their comfort yeah. zone in dealing yeah, exactly. with others. <laughs> and um, I, I actually, I also want to read out the this sort of fuller quote that comes just before that that talks about sort of the how the two of them start to interact as as they both uh, zone out and start circling Mara. Um, so Blake thinks, I I joined Rose in pacing around Mara. Part of the reason was to keep Mara roughly between us, though I was closer to the two o'clock position while Rose was nearer to six. The other reason was to keep a distance from Rose. The reason I wasn't slowing or picking up my pace to be the exact opposite was that I didn't have that accurate, sorry, is that I didn't want want to have that accurate gun of Rose's pointed at me. And I mean, I just, this is just the perfect summary of where these two are at right now. Like they share an enemy 
um they're not quite on opposite sides they're trying to work together but they're at two and six o'clock yeah because they don't quite trust each other it's it it works on so many levels like i just love this as a yeah a, a neat image for what cooperation between rose and blake looks like right now which is being out of sync opposites on on the other side of an enemy yeah you can perfectly sum up their relationship by saying not opposing but not on the same side right (laughs) and that's exactly what they are it's a perfect (laughs) image to sum them up yeah yeah um so with this uh knight dying uh mara manages to slip away she she dodges some bullets which she can do which is crazy (laughs) and she also basically calls in her birds to block out all the light and this uh seemingly in hand situation quickly descends into chaos yeah it's kind of we had the cavalry arrive and it seemed like they were going to save the day and then it gets to like just as bad as it ever was last chapter um it feels like that bit of the horror movie where the victims are being chased by the baddie and they have no way like they're helpless and cut off and they can't defend themselves um mara feels like the monster the movie from sorry the monster from the movies um it's a bit of a nice inversion on sort of what blake has been doing the last few arcs it's (laughs) um it's very fun yes um, and I, I think I mentioned a few chapters ago, I think it was in the chapter with, with the dragon in the alley, that I really liked it when cha- these chapters descend into kind of flashes of chaos. I, I think it's a really fun way of experiencing a story to have your main character be confused and occasionally see little vignettes of what's going on around them, but struggling to catch up to, to the actual action and to figure out the holistic picture of what's going on. And that's exactly what this chapter descends into. And it's so much fun because Mara is basically playing this like one step ahead trickster demon thing. And Blake is just struggling to follow in her footsteps. Yeah. Although in saying that, what Mara's done is basically made it so Blake just has to stumble around mostly in the dark and figure things out as he goes, which is like his MO um, (laughs) in a lot of ways like that. That pretty much sums up how he's tackling the whole lordship contest, really. Um, So unfortunately it doesn't quite work out for her. Uh, But I I agree this sort of, I really enjoy how gripping and and, and, and intense these bits Mm. are of Blake kind of half blindly walking around trying to follow and and put like puzzle pieces together as he's going. Like it's, it's it's just, it was just fun to follow. Like as I was doing the live read for this one, I kept having to force myself to actually make comments because I was just kind of getting wrapped up in following Blake through, through this journey. Yeah, it is. It's like Mara is, if you'll pardon, I guess the continuing fairy tale analogies, leaving a trail of breadcrumbs for Blake to follow (laughs) here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Blake kind of deduces that Mara, now that she has one kill, she needs a second easy kill to gain momentum. And from there she'll, she'll get more powerful. And he kind of intuits that it will be Corviday, uh, and goes to where Corviday was left to find him dead. Basically his broken bird body is lying dead on the ground. I love how I I never even doubted for a second that she not only a would have killed Corviday, but B, he would have been like totally cool with it. Yeah. I love the way Blake kind of thinks Corviday, and it's like, you think for a second, well, that doesn't make any sense, but it's so crazy that it's probably what she's done. (laughs) Well, and yeah, once you sort of process the thought, you're just kind of like, yeah, I can see Corviday being the kind of guy who's like, oh yeah, just just kill me and and I'll come back, it's cool, like, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Like, others are so weird, I love it. <laughs> so so let's talk about the fact that Blake intuits this, because he's kind of thinking mm. about it, and suddenly the name Corviday just kind of springs into his head, right? And I think well, that's... It's not, it's not just that. <laughs> he, he sort of thinks it, and then there's, like, this 
reaction in his body that's kind of like you know italicizes it in his head he's kind yes. of like oh yeah okay that's something like it, it's not that he's fed the answers but he's kind of given like he, he's basically got a super lightweight tattletale power yes <laughs> and i think this is really interesting because we obviously have to think what where does this come from right like is this the abyss being on side with with killing mara which potentially is a pretty good idea because mara's probably a pretty good get for the abyss um, or is it like the human Blake, which we've seen kind of be represented by italics before? Or is it actually just Blake's intuition? Like, there's so many different ways of interpreting this. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, packed, all of the above. Yeah, uh, totally. Blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of see this as mostly a Blakeism. Like, I think intuition going with your gut and everything like Blake thinks on it here this has always been his thing it's probably been the most consistent aspect of his personality throughout this this whole story um so i like it it doesn't really surprise me at all that we're starting to see that manifest as a kind of more concrete other power Mm. like you know a a bit like how evan has gone from sort of this loosely defined ability to help you escape to like once that sort of it's become a lot more formalized now and i think we're starting yeah. to maybe see blake do the same thing with uh following his gut whereas his uh the spirits kind of help him make sure his gut is pushing him in the right direction a bit yeah i like that and i i'm excited to see what it looks like when that coalesces more firmly like will he be able to just have tattletales power <laughs> that would be pretty wild yeah i mean it'll be interesting to see what he can and can't do with it i mean obviously evan has has his limits and it'll be interesting to find out what blake's are yeah yeah um so now that corviday is dead blake figures that next mara may be going for the mirror and he goes towards it and finds her footsteps following them to find mara holding her hand to alexis's throat Oh, I was so tense here. Like, I completely, <laughs> I completely bought into this. Yeah. I was like, no, not Alexis. Yeah, I think I did the first time as well. Uh, but Blake, you know, we should we should know now that when Blake <laughs> stumbles across a scene like this, it's a trap. Like it's happened twice. The first time with the scene in the in the middle of the street with Sandra, and now this. It's just too. These tableaus are just a bit too manufactured. You should be able to sniff them out. Yeah, I and I mean it's fun because Corviday was there for the other ones, so I think you yeah. can assume he maybe helped out with this one. Yeah. Um, but they're they're so similar. The idea of an ally trapped in a circle. It's it. If this happens again within the next like arc or two, hopefully I'm gonna just immediately be like, I don't like this. This yeah. is very bad. But the problem is now that we're expecting it, the third time is going to be a subversion, yes. and you know yep. Tiffany's actually going to die or whatever. Yeah, exactly. It's been um, it's been too well flagged. Yeah. Uh, yeah. but, uh, yeah. Yeah, so, so Mara offers Blake a choice here, which is either kill himself or let Alexis die, and Blake actually turns to seemingly kill himself, but Mara kills Alexis anyway. <laughs> yeah, so it's basically a, a, a bit of a twist on the previous, uh, like, offer that Mara gave them, where it's like, Blake can kill himself and she'll let Alexis go free, yeah. or he can kill Alexis and then she'll let him go free. Yeah. Uh, and... Yeah, yeah, you know, basically as long as Blake kills someone, uh, one of them gets to go free. It's Mara, Mara loves this shit. Like, yeah. she's, all, she's all for it, apparently. She's And this is kind of crazy, right? Because when you think a witch who lives in the forest and doesn't interact with people, you don't expect her to be so good at manipulation, right? But she, she really has <laughs> just learned exactly how to push these buttons. Like, this whole battle, she's been 
maximizing the the psychological warfare right like telling somebody to die and they do it that's probably the most horrifying thing that you could ever face against (laughs) and now this scene as well like it's clearly very psychologically damaging of a fight and and that means mara is a lot better at at the the charisma stuff than she lets on yes uh clearly in her like 25 ish thousand years she's she's sort of picked up reading people at some point um i mean like the thing the vibe i very much got from this was that she just enjoys torturing them and making them miserable like it's not about killing it's it's about the pain um really seems to be her her whole thing yeah and and so obviously she has acquired uh the skills necessary to maximize the amount of pain she can cause i think she probably just sits in her hut imagining ways to torture people and and dreams of an opportunity like this that she can put them to practice yeah that wouldn't surprise me at all as as she's doing her chores and, and stuff every day she's just sort of plotting and what if i offered them a choice but then killed them when they turned their back that would be funny um, oh man it's so oh it's so good yeah it's horrifying um and so yeah blake was the read we're meant to get here is blake is about to kill himself for alexis like he says to yeah. evan you know my debt to her isn't paid yet which presumably means because alexis uh saved his life in in his view you know he he now owes her his life um yeah so that's pretty wild that blake was about to kill himself oh i mean it is blake Um, yeah sure it's in character but still seems a bit of escalation i don't know yeah i i mean i i think that's the thing though like what why this really stood out to me is Alexis has kind of always been the person since she was introduced that I would have never hesitated to say Blake would give his life for hers. Um, and like he's, he's literally offered that opportunity right here. Um, and, but he's obviously had his issues with Alexis. There's even bits earlier in the chapter where he sort of reminds us how hurt he is by the, uh, sort of betrayal he got from, yeah. from his friends. Yeah. And, and, and so like, I think like the, the reason that this is important to me is we still sort of see, despite how hurt and, angry and stuff he is at at these people it's still the part of blake is still in there that will just you know kill himself with the hyena to um for for sort of what she represents for who he used to be like i think that's really important yeah yeah that's fair enough um i guess it was a tactical mistake for mara to pretend to kill alexis then should have just let blake kill himself yeah well yeah yeah that's a good point. <laughs> anyway, so Blake uh, is... I, I, well, so I wonder. If, mm. I wonder if maybe that's that's a thing. Like Mara maybe can't possibly conceive that he would have. I don't know. Yeah, or I mean, we don't know how it would have gone down. Maybe Blake would have figured out the thing with Corviday while this was happening, and then would have figured it out. I don't know. But yeah, it, yeah. It, it does seem like he was about to just straight up do it. So maybe Mara should have just waited a few <laughs> more seconds. Um, anyway, Blake is obviously pretty uh, pedo here. And uh, he he basically, because he knows he can't get to Mara inside her protective circle, he rips off one of his wings to give himself more reach so that he can basically <laughs> hug the circle, waiting for her to, to run across it in the darkness and trip over his wing, which is exactly what happens. It's a perfect play. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, you know, so he got that, uh, that you know, scrapping Blakeness back off Rose, I guess, because he's... Yeah. Uh, He's already back to ripping parts of his body off. Yeah, um, he, he was really psyched up to kill himself, and now that he's a bit let down, so instead he just rips off a wing. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting, like, he does sort of... Rose sort of specifically calls out to him before he sort of switches back into this mode. I don't know, maybe I'm reaching there, mm. but I feel, like, I feel like that might be... Like, like, maybe there's something about them interacting that helps 
with them sort of with, with things yo-yoing between them. I don't yeah. know because it is just it, like Rose calls out to him, and then he sort of switches straight back into um, gonna rip parts of my body off. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, so this isn't a big thing, but because Alexis is dead, Evan starts freaking out and he starts swearing a lot. He calls Mara a wicked old bitch, which is mm. justified, but also like. And I know this isn't the worst thing Evan's been subjected to since <laughs> since hanging out with Blake. But it, again, it just kind of flags for me as like, well, this is a seven-year-old kid calling a, a this lady a wicked old bitch. It just feels feels like a bad sign, you know. Um, I don't know. Like, yeah, I, 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 you know, he just watched one of his friends get murdered. I think even a seven-year-old yeah. gets a pass for using the B word. Yeah, um, in, maybe it's... in that situation, like. Honestly, all things considered, I think that's a fairly healthy and normal reaction to watching <laughs> someone murder one of your friends. That's fair. I guess the thing that I really should have a problem with is that Blake is exposing Evan to situations yeah, where he yeah. sees his friends get murdered. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I don't think the problem's with how Evan's reacting. I think the problem is that Evan has to be reacting. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, Blake has uh, tripped up Mara with this wing, and because he's quick, he catches her and holds the hyena to her throat. Yeah, but it immediately feels a bit too easy, and, and even yes. Blake picks that pretty much instantly. Yeah, and potentially using his new tattletale <laughs> intuition power, he he realizes that there's something else going on here. Um, Mara, he kind of figures out Mara killed Corviday so that then she could resummon him to her side. And as Evan speaks, breaking the silence for the third time, Blake just kind of stabs out towards him and finds uh, that he has stabbed Corviday. Uh, who is now dead, and Mara is caught. Uh, so they've won. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> I, I like how the birds thin out as he gets stabbed. Like, yeah. the birds have been such a big part of the, the ambiance of this area since we entered it a few chapters ago. And like, Corviday has always been someone who we, we've known as Team Mara as all this is going on. And even though... I, I just like this idea that maybe Corviday was helping Mara with the mm. control of the birds or something. Um, and, and just just the symbolism of them sort of being less hers as Corviday gets killed is is so perfect. And again, yeah. it lets some light in, which which we already talked about before. Like it's um, it's just this really sort of cinematically beautiful moment as Corviday stabbed, and you like you hear the birds die down and more light comes through. It just symbolizes his connection to Mara and the area so perfectly, I reckon. Yeah, um, while also giving you this moment of like, okay, the storm is parting a little bit, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, it all clicks into place, and Blake kind of realizes the scope of Mara's uh, deviousness over the course of this fight, uh, but he still figured things out in time and won, so that's a fun, uh, fun little chapter right there. So it's good. They've won. Mara's defeated. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't buy it. Like, she's still alive in her woods. Like, I, I, I'm i skeptical that you can ever be safe in that situation. Mm. Um, I feel like you'd have to be careful. I, I'll be very interested. I think the thing I'm most interested to see moving forward is how or, or whether Corviday's death af- affects her. Because, um, you know, like I've, yeah. I've been working off the assumption for quite a while now that they're married. Although there was an interesting bit about Corviday's hair being latitas so maybe i've totally just misinterpreted this whole thing mm. um but uh, i mean maybe i'll get some some proof either way depending on how mara responds to the fact that he's dead yeah i mean it's clear that they have some kind of connection right um uh, yeah yeah mara has been pretty unfazed by everything that's been happening so far uh so maybe this will be the thing that finally 
phases her a bit, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Like, I guess we'll see. Yeah, uh, we'll have to see because that's the end of this chapter. <laughs> um, bef- before we end the episode, it's time to take a look at what people were saying five years ago. Uh, let's dive into some comments from the original audience five years ago. Yeah, uh, what have you brought? I brought a comment by Underwhelming Force, um, and this comment was actually a response to a, th- a comment left by a user called Melmoth uh, that said that leaving Mara alive, even for a little bit, could be a disaster, which is a fair kind of thing, you know? Obviously, yep. you don't want to be the villain that monologues to James Bond. I mean, I guess that's basically what I just said. I was like, I don't trust it. <laughs> yes. Um, Underwhelming Force makes an interesting point, though, that saying that Blake leaving Mara alive for a little bit here and not just immediately murdering her um, when he gets the chance to, uh, even when he thinks that Alexis is actually dead, um, Underwhelming Force says that that's actually uh, a win for his humanity, which I-, I think is an interesting point. I Again, this could be seen two ways, right? Either Blake is human and letting her live because he doesn't want to murder more people because he's a human, uh, which I don't think is the case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or Blake is is kind of in this mode of, okay, we need to, like, torture or interrogate the information out of her, um, which I, I think is more what I lean towards. But I do like the idea that Blake doesn't kill her immediately, even though he has just seen Alexis die, which is possibly the most triggering thing that he could see, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I'd say so. Um, yeah, I, and obviously, like, I think it's interesting to compare this to all the, the killing monsters definition thing that defined Arc 13. Um, I think by just about any definition, Mara is a monster who's yes. kind of ba- barely human. Yeah. Um, it would seem to me that compared to a lot of the people who were killed uh, in the last few arcs, Mara would seem like one of the ones who would best fit that definition, so... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm assuming, I kind of feel like we're in a similar-ish position to where we were at the end of last chapter, where it's sort of like, okay, now we have Mara under control, um, like, we've taken Corvid, I, I think they've started tying her up or something, so it's, um, it's very much like, okay, now we can, now it's going to be about the group interacting, it's going to be about, like, Blake and Rose working together to try and get information out of her, and that's going to be a very fun way to see how everyone plays off of each other while they're, um, working together (laughs) at least at 12 and 6 i mean sorry 6 and 2 um yeah so so what comment did you pull out early so i pulled out a comment by uh chloris uh Mm -hmm. sorry for pronouncing that name probably wrong so uh this user just points out that like mara talks about all these awful ways she can bind spirits so that they suffer for ages uh, and, you know, you, you're putting this, the soul into physical objects, and that sounds a lot like the dolls she has in her house. And uh, so, you know, they're probably suffering and not reaching the afterlife <sighs> for hundreds of years. So, uh, I, I mean, it's not really news that what she was doing here was probably shit, but, uh, <laughs> you know, the thinking about it, boreness of it yeah. is, is just its own level of horrifying. So, sometimes when we do these comment dives, we, for some reason, choose these comments that are like, well, you know how this thing is bad? Actually, it's probably <laughs> yeah. a lot worse. It's kind of like, yeah. why do we do this to ourselves? <laughs> I mean, you could say that about the whole book. Like, I, don't, I think if you don't get a bit of a kick out of being... Horrified. Um, yeah, ho- horrified and exploring stuff through these horrific avenues, then yeah. you're probably not going to be making it this far into any Wild Bow stories. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. 
Um, and with that, I guess that's the end of the episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, thanks for joining us, everybody. Uh, remember, we don't have a discussion thread at the moment because we are planning to do a Q&A episode uh, to round out the end of the year. So if you want to, please leave your questions for us in the discussion thread, which we link down below, and we will answer them in uh, 14.10, I think it is. Yes, and in fact, but the thing is, because our recording schedule's a bit out of whack, it's like, we'll be recording that about two days after this episode airs. Oh yeah, so, this is probably um, your last chance. Yeah, so so get those answers in uh, quick smart if you if you want to get them to us, because uh, be, we'll be recording that just after this episode airs. Um, and if you if you don't want to submit those via Reddit, uh, we've got the email, mediamdpodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter, at mediamdpodcast. Yes, um... And you can also find this show, along with all of the other great shows on the Doof Media Network, on the website at doofmedia.com. Um, this morning, this same morning that this episode came out, uh, came out an episode of the Doofcast uh, on uh, basically all of the f- movies from 2019, as well as uh, favorite movies of the decade. So um, check that out, because we are both uh, featured on it, as well yeah. as it's just a good show. Like, even if we weren't featured on it, you should watch it. <laughs> yeah no it's it's really cool so for the last episode of the year the Doofcast is going to kind of be rounding out the decade um they've got uh, like you know a lot of people appearing uh, if uh, i think it's going to be a really sort of fun discussion as they sort of look back at uh cinema for the last 10 years um, i'm actually really looking forward to hearing it yeah um of course that show as well as all the other great shows on the Doof media network only exist because of our delightful patrons thank you patrons if you'd like to become one of those delightful patrons thank you patrons head on over to patreon.com forward slash doof media um you can get all kinds of cool things other than just that warm christmas feeling of supporting us uh including <laughs> access to the discord and bonus content um actually there's uh for for our very special patrons to give them a, a bonus christmas present we're doing 12 days of doofmas where we have um 12 pieces of bonus content all the way uh one every day in the lead up to christmas uh, so that's going on right now and yeah you can get access I mean, by to by the time this airs yeah. that'll be oh, so by the time this airs that'll be that'll be half over so you know if you if you aren't yet a patron at the doof troop level uh you can sign up and there'll be a bunch of articles waiting for you as as we head into christmas day itself yep I did one on the movie Grumpy Cat's Worst Christmas Ever. And uh, if you want to know what I thought of it, you'll have to be a patron. But look, the the spoiler is, uh, I was surprised by how much I enjoyed the film. <laughs> I'm surprised by that also. Yeah. Um, yes. And, and uh, you know, while we're talking about Patreon, uh, patreon.com forward slash Wabo is the place to go to, uh, you know, keep Wabo's cycle of writing stories and and chapters all the all the bloody time uh going yeah um and speaking of uh, chapters all the time we have another episode coming out soon that will be cine da 14.8 on monday the 23rd so we will see you then see you then